Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to The Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. To the ghosts out in the hall, the paint peeling off the walls. Good night. Welcome to The Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is writer and cartoonist Iris Smiley's. Her new book is Iris Has Free Time. Welcome to the show, Iris. Nice to have you on this morning. Hi, Catherine. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. Well, Iris, Diane Keaton has described your book as, and I'm quoting her, Iris Has Free Time is a hilarious, lyrical, and wise book about youth, its beauty, its folly, and the belief it will go on forever, even as it's slipping away. And Diane Keaton says you'll love this book. So I'm going to ask you, why would we love your book, or why will we like your book? Love your book. Um, well, I think because it's sort of it's a celebration of all the folly of youth, but uh, doesn't whitewash it and suggest it's, it acknowledge the, acknowledges the consequences of, of all of those mistakes, but kind of um, embraces them too. So I think you know, for anyone who is young or has been young, there's a kind of um, it, it's just a way of of looking at that and seeing what it all means. So who is I- Iris in the book is is who? I'm assuming Iris is you. It's not a memoir, but it's fiction. But still, I think Iris, I, I think, is you. Is she not? She's based on me. So, uh, yes, she's based on me in, in, in the way that, I guess, uh, Dante is based on Dante in the Inferno. Um, which my book is very, very loosely modeled on. Uh, Dante writes about himself and about all of his friends and the people that he's known in, in life, but he didn't literally take a trip through hell. He fictionalized it somewhat. So my book is sort of like that. It's um, a fictional treatment of of, uh, of, of real, real people and real events. I, I draw on that and um, play with the, with the line between fiction and nonfiction. Right, so you have fun with it. I guess it gives you more leeway if you don't write it as a memoir and you write it as fiction. Um, yes, and also because I wanted, because rather than a memoir, I guess a memoir tends to be, it's really about the events, whereas this is really about the theme of youth, um, and I, I use, I draw on certain events to kind of, to, to approach that theme. Right, so what are those events? What are we talking about? When you say theme of youth, we're talking about youth, 20s, youth, woman, young woman, uh, just out there exploring love, sex, work, identity, all of those issues? Um, 
Yes, and I guess even besides more than just being um, more than being a woman, it's really about the experience of I guess that feeling like you're you're floating um, when you're in your twenties. You know, I think that before that, in childhood, you're kind of steadily climbing up this ladder of you know you're in school and you're in ninth grade and tenth grade and eleventh grade and you're climbing and you're growing up and everything is is happening and then you kind of you graduate and you you are kind of you're floating there's no you're not sure where to grab next or what's the next uh foothold and it seems almost like just maybe you're you're in this huge ocean and there's no end to it of course um you know, eventually you come out on the other side and, and you realize that you haven't been floating, you've been going somewhere. So it's sort of about about that, trying to navigate through those doldrums. All right, so what happens to Iris during this navigation process? Let's talk, talk about the okay. book. Yeah. Yes, well, um, specifically, Iris... Uh, comes out of college and is with all her, you know, all of her hopes and uh, sense of uh, entitlement that I think education breeds in you and um, goes on her first job interview and is shocked that no one is interested um, in what she has to offer in her many humanities classes and her poetry and all of that. And, and that's so begins... typical. Iris isn't in New York, Iris. Uh, I mean, I think it really is typical. I think this is why uh, so many uh, parents and people in their 20s, young people in their 20s, can all identify with this because that is exactly, especially in our culture today, what happens. They get great degrees from great colleges or even sometimes graduate school, and then, you know, and their helicopter parents think they're fantastic, and then they get out and no one really cares, and no one's really that impressed with you. And, um, you know, I just know so many kids in that position. But anyway, go on. Um, well, yeah, I, and I think it's sort of, everyone is very critical of, of the 20-some, the, these early, young people, these new graduates, and saying, oh, they're so entitled. But why shouldn't they be? I mean, I'm not saying um, that they uh, are entitled, uh, should be entitled. I'm saying that they've, you know, they've, they've grown to expect that. In, in, in school, they're told to study what you love, you know, pursue your passion, and and education is all about cultivating your mind. So how are you supposed to know when you come out that all, all of a sudden everything reverses, that no one cares about you and your mind and what you've studied, you know? So I think, I think that we should, you know, give, give those kids a, a break a little bit while they figure out that the world does not revolve around them because uh, that's only a very new development. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I, yeah, and what I you write this obviously there's a lot of humor and it's very funny. I actually I was online and I was listening to you. You I think you were giving a reading at the um, the stand the bookstore, and uh, you know reading an excerpt from the book and it really is very funny, kind of like uh, you know Catcher in the Rye kind of funny. The book you know your, the experiences so um, or Iris's experiences. So you put there's a lot of humor in all of this. Um, yes, I mean a lot of uh, a lot of it comes from the sort of you know mis misguided uh, hubris of of young people uh, you know and when I was when I was first coming out of college for example and uh, after I had this 
very terrible job interview, and I was so, I just didn't want to go through that again. So I had the great idea of um, starting my own business because I thought if I am president of the company, then I don't have to go on any more job interviews. Which is true. <laughs> Which is true, but it's you know it takes a, it's the mind of a, of a twenty year old to uh, to think that that will be easier that starting a company and starting your own business is easier than just muscling up to another job interview. So my idea was, oh well, I'm fashionable. I'm going to sell T-shirts. So um, fifteen years later, I still have these T-shirts that I manufacture. <laughs> um, have you sold one? No, I did. You know, I sold. I sold quite a few of them. It's just that the, the problem was I didn't have the money to really go into business and manufacture many of them, and so my price point was too high, and I wasn't able to sell them in stores. So I had to sell them at a at a street fair, and then of course at a street fair. You have to pay rent for a table. So all of this, you know, after all of that, I, I sold for a day, and then I ended up just breaking even. So it's um, – this is just to say it's a lot – everything is a lot more complicated than what you imagine in your head. And I guess that's kind of, you know, the moral of the story. When you come out of, out of college, you think you're just going to step into your new life, and it turns out it's a lot more complicated uh, and challenging. But you've done a lot. You are talented, and uh, this—you know—you've uh, obviously you've written this book, but you've also written other things. And I, I don't know if you wrote them while in college or after college. And I didn't even mention those. But you've and you've gotten uh, prizes for fiction and several prizes for your fiction, your work, numerous publications in the Nerve, New York Press. Uh, so you know you had a talent. I mean, it seems to me. I mean, you've had a talent all along. I don't, uh, were you an English major in college or? Um, I was I was not an English major. I my I started off as a drama major. I wanted to be an actress, and then I came to my senses, but only slightly enough to um, change to a an interdisciplinary major. So I was loosely a literature major, but not quite as serious as the English majors. So basically, I had a degree that was even less useful than a humanities degree. Good for you. Well, <laughs> But um, I mean, as far as as far as I appreciate your saying that I'm I'm talented and all of that. When you say that, I think, wow, I sound like such an accomplished person. Person, but then much of that came, I guess, um, later. I mean, I, I've I've always written and always enjoyed writing, but I kind of only managed to get very serious about it. Um, later on, sort of at, at the end of my 20s. At the beginning of my 20s, it was more about acting like being a writer, you know, drinking, talking about literature, carrying on, which many people do. Some people get so good at playing the role of being the writer that they neglect to actually write anything. So I was in slight danger of that, and then kind of towards towards the end of my 20s, I I realized that I needed to do, you know, to just... Work, work much harder and play much less. And the book is a little bit about, is a little bit about that too. Very much so, actually. So it's time to take it seriously and be not, be not just live the part of a writer, but actually write, which is just as difficult as trying to sell T-shirts or whatever you're trying to sell to do, trying to do right, or be an actress. Um, where did you go to college? Um, I went to NYU. And you're in the city now. And are you teaching? You were a teacher. Did you teach little kids? 
I did. I taught one of my first jobs after uh, after college graduation, after the T-shirt empire didn't work out. Um, I, I started teaching. I, I taught. I taught uh, at a public school in the South Bronx, where they kind of they had to hire me because they had a teacher shortage. So um, it was one of the worst schools. I'm, I was teaching with these Teach for America fellows who all quit in the first month, even with their good intentions. They're, they just, they, everyone was fleeing from the school. And by the end of the year, it was taken over by the, by the chancellor because it was very troubled. Um, so that was probably one of the best experiences of my life in terms of a, a wake-up call, because it's very difficult to be to feel entitled and to be that to have that kind of softness from from college when you've got to actually you know show up for a bunch of other people every day. Uh, I mean, other kids. How long did you, know? you last? Everybody else, the Teaching for America people, left, and you were still there until the chancellor took over. Yeah, I I stuck it out. I mean, that's the thing. I didn't I didn't quit, so I'm very proud of that. And everyone was. You know, a lot of teachers were quitting, um, uh, so I'm I'm proud of that. Maybe it was because I didn't have it. I didn't have. In this case, it was easier for me not to quit because I didn't go in there thinking that I would change anything or do anything. Um, so I just uh, I I don't know. You stayed, and your t-shirts weren't doing well. You might as well stay there and stick it out, right? How did? <laughs> yeah. How did your um? family influence you? How did you get to that point? I kind of want to, you know, lead up into when you went to NYU and what your own family, your family of origin, where'd you come from? Um, well, I'm from Long Island, so not too far. And my, uh, my, my parents um, owned a party store when I was growing up. Um, so party, I don't know. I think I, I think I'm I I really embraced parties. <laughs> I think they wanted me. My parents are very hard workers, but I sort of I guess I confused uh, the idols for the religion. <laughs> I uh, I thought it was all about parties and costumes, so I took that I took that away. I think I think later I I, I am a very hard worker. Hard, hard worker now, but it just took me a while to to figure that out. For a while, I worked very, very, very hard at partying. So I am I am proud of 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 that. I didn't slack you, ever. I just maybe devoted my efforts to the wrong thing for a little while. <laughs> but that's kind of like Iris in the book, right? You have to just kind of have fun, do what you do. If you're going to be partying, give it your all, which it sounds like you did. Do you have brothers and sisters? I have two. I have two older brothers. Yes, um, and um, one is a computer programmer, and the other uh, runs a dollar store. Oh, so you guys have gone into very different kinds of businesses, professions. Interesting. Uh, all right, so you came from a party family, or but they actually a business, and uh, then went to NYU, and. Are you gl- and then when you graduated, we're, I just want to get this kind of the whole history here. Um, you partied for your twenties, but you were still serious at the same time about what you were doing. Um, are you glad you did that? I mean, because we're talking about the theme of this book, because I think a lot of I'll say kids do do that, and some of them regret it and say, "Well, maybe I should have been more serious in my twenties, and I should have really gone to graduate school or gotten a job or." 
you know, found out mm-hmm. my, what kind of profession I wanted to do. But it sounds like you're saying, no, this was like, this is kind of a good thing and it evolves into a more, or you evolved, or one can evolve into a more serious person. Um, well, yes. Uh, also to say, I did end up going going back to graduate school. Um, I had a kind of a, an early when I started teaching. I guess I try. I, I grew up pretty quickly, but then I went to graduate school and regressed again pretty quickly. I think I just want to say about graduate school that it has, you know, it's a lot of it's really it's it's a little bit regressive. I mean, of course, it's very hard, but for a lot of people, it's just kind of, I think, trying to, being out in the world is a frightening thing, so they decide, I'm going to go back to graduate school, and this way my parents have something to tell, you know, the relatives and their friends, and I'm not just floating around. Um, <laughs> so I think a lot of that graduate school is an illusion, and um, uh, it's to cover up this, this the, the you know, the the reality. But anyway. Well, it what, what you're doing, but at the same time, it does give you a degree, and you can do the other stuff. And you're right, your parents, when they go to a cocktail party, they don't have to be embarrassed. But then you don't either, because you are doing something that's... Right, but that's what I'm saying. Worth- it's a lot of money. People are taking out loans to cover up the basic like, shame so that your parents have something to say at a cocktail party. And you can answer effectively when someone asks you, what do you do? Instead of saying, oh, I'm trying to write a book, you can say, oh, I'm not Columbia's MFA program. It's very prestigious, you know? So I'm saying that these schools, these colleges are are, are getting rich on all of our collective shame. Um, so that's all I have to say about that. Anyway, I loved graduate school. It was like camp. Yeah. <laughs> um, camp for adults. And, um, but... Uh, Yes, I think what I want to say, I don't, I don't, I'm not for regret. I don't spend any time, uh, regretting my, you know, my mistakes because I feel like they're mine. Um, and well, what were that's the what I, that's what I did instead. But I, what are the mistakes? Because you, you haven't really said mistake. You didn't say they were mistakes. You, oh, but. you, I guess, yeah, I guess the mistake of just like, like you said, maybe I should have, um, you know, found, found a job very, very quickly and stayed, stayed with it. I guess my mistake was, um, it took me a while to kind of take myself seriously and, cultivate the kind of discipline that I needed to to write, to be a novelist, um, which is what I've always wanted to do. And so for years, I guess I ended up at 29 feeling like I'm no closer to my dreams than I was at 22. How did this happen? What have I been doing all of this time? Were you scared, um, Were you scared at 29? Because 29 is kind of one of those big numbers, like 39 49, but so 29, what have I done? I haven't been writing. Yes, I went to graduate school. Were you, were you afraid? Like, what now what? I'm going to be 30. Is This is really scary stuff. Um, yeah, I, I, I was. Uh, not because, obviously, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with being 30. I'm, I'm, I'm well into my 30s now and, and that, but, but the feeling of basically what have I accomplished? And I suddenly felt, I felt very, I felt very old, not because I was so old, but because I felt like I hadn't earned my age. Like I, ha- I wasn't where I should be. I wasn't married. Um, I didn't have the career that I always wanted. 
and I didn't see, you know, I wasn't where I, I saw myself. So for me, I just decided at that point, I decided it was time to kind of just figure out a way if I'm not just, I'm not just going to float over into my, you know, into a, my dreams or whatever life I imagine for myself, I have to work for it. So I got very serious um, about writing, and um, I, I wrote this book. So you got serious about writing. How did you do that? What did you say, okay, I'm going to be 30, I am a serious person, now I need to do something? Did you say, well, I'm going to sit down? I know different authors approach writing a book at very differently. So did you just say, well, now it's time for me to write Iris Has Free Time? Um, no, not exactly. I got serious about, about writing in, in general. So I just thought, I, I basically just kind of raised my life as I was, as I was living it. So I stopped, I stopped drinking. I sort of retired from my social life and I just thought I'm not going to, I'm, I'm just going to make myself into who I want to be. And I'll come out when I'm done. And so a few years later, I did. So I started. Um, I guess this sounds a little bit a little bit funny, but I love the movie Rocky. So for me, it was like a period like that. I felt like this is kind of my last chance to be who I want to be. So I started exercising to cultivate discipline, um, going to sleep early, waking up at at five every morning to begin writing, and just. Working and working and working um, because I figured, um, I still figure, I think that whatever you want to do, you have to be willing to do it. So either uh, I thought then, either I say, okay, this is not for me because I'm not willing to do it, or I step up to it and put put in the, the work. So you were very deliberate about it. I guess that's what I'm getting at. You just decided this is the time I've done my 20s. I've made mistakes. I've done what I want, like Iris in in, uh, in your um, in your novel. And but you were very deliberate about disciplining yourself and like kind of changing your life, putting it into a different direction so that you had a different goal in mind. But you have to do that. It didn't just happen. I guess is what I'm trying to say. No, it didn't. It it didn't. No, it was it was very very deliberate. I guess. I mean, also the other thing I'm leaving out a little bit is the <clears throat> the darker side of that is I was I was drinking a lot and it was very frightening. So Did you go to I AA? Kind of, um, I didn't. I I didn't do do it that way. I just stopped on my own. Um, but. Yeah, I so I felt like I I guess I felt like I'd kind of reached a dead end, and that there was nothing left in that direction um, for me, and it was scary. And I guess I thought, well, even though it's a long road, the other way, I've just gotta gotta start. So um, I did. Now, did anybody <laughs> say anything to you? Okay, you were partying, you were, you know, out all the time, doing what you wanted to do, all of this kind of stuff, okay, the madcap 20s, whatever. Um, but did anybody say, okay, Iris, you're drinking too much, you are, you know, overdoing it. I mean, we haven't even talked about men, but we should. Uh, like, it's a girlfriend or somebody said, you know, it's time now to do something, to stop and to start disciplining yourself and, you know, find out what direction you're going in. Was that... <laughs> Um, I, not really. 
I mean, the difficult thing is, especially in New York City, you you find yourself in these communities that of people who are doing the exact same thing as you are. So you can be among. So all of my friends were do were kind of up to the up to the same thing. So it seems very normal. It seems, well, everyone drinks this much. And the reason that everyone drinks this much is because you choose to be around people who are all drinking that much. Even still, because I'm very competitive, I drink more than them. <laughs> but no one, um, no, actually, it was just, it was just, uh, certainly with relationships, I had some people when I would get a little bit wild who would be critical and say, oh, I don't like how you acted last night. But then at the same time, there was this pressure because so many people really liked the party me because I, you know, was fun and I was throwing parties all of the time. They wanted me to be that person. So one of the difficult things about kind of retiring from that life or trying to change is feeling like I was disappointing a lot of people. A lot of people knew me as this party girl, and I was very successful at that. And I kind of really believed that that's who I was, you know, that I was this behavior. So it was frightening to kind of decide that I was not necessarily that person. Um, but you know, and so then did you have I... to change friends? Because you know, once you're not the party girl and the Iris that they knew, and the drinking buddy, and all the stuff that goes along with that, then you have to kind of switch gears when it comes to friends. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, that is sort of. I I sort of dropped out of social life a little bit. I mean, I just because I was working so hard, I didn't really uh, that that wasn't my priority anymore. But I was a little bit disappointed to find that I I thought I guess I thought some of my friends might be happy for me when I told them that I had stopped drinking, but many of them looked at it as something to be uh, pitied. Um, and still do. People are very strange about about when you stop drinking. If you keep drinking, you don't have a problem, uh, no matter how much you're drinking. But if you stop, somehow that suggests that you have a problem, which is a bizarre thing because I feel like, well, I've I just I just did you know I've I've solved my problem. I'm not I'm not falling down anymore. But a lot of people don't don't see it that way. So well, it has more to do about has more to do with them rather than with you. When you stop drinking, it makes them perhaps have to think about how much drinking they're doing and uh, contemplate that something that they don't want to do. So that's why it becomes uncomfortable when they they're I drinking. I think so. Yeah. I think so. People feel feel it as like a kind of a silent judgment against them. You know, whatever your your behavior. It's it's very odd. I had thought when I stopped drinking, I thought that the big challenge would be that I would still want to drink. Or, but it turns out that I don't actually want to drink. The, the main thing is socially that there's a lot of pressure from other people. People are very uncomfortable at a table with someone who is not drinking. We're going to take a break on that one, and we will come back in a minute. So don't go away. Um, I'm talking to Iris Smiles. Iris Has Free Time is the name of her new book, and that's what we've been discussing. And you've been listening to The Catherine Zock Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. We'll be back in a minute.
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host Jordan Kimmel is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Many people are seeking to make a difference in the world, but few actually have the tools to do so. Every week, host Mary Beth Lodge and her guests will have you thinking forward and will give you the tips to keep your life, goals, priorities, and choices on track. The result is an easier, happier, and more inspired life. The name of the program is What Matters. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What really matters is the positive changes that you'll bring to your life and the world just by listening. Tune in every week for Impact Africa with host Topay Fajanbasi. Get ready to be inspired by the people, stories, and opportunities in Africa. We're a community of Africans and friends of Africa living all over the world. Together, we'll celebrate the continent's successes and help provide solutions to some of its greatest challenges. Impact Africa can be heard every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Together, we'll discover that the real Africa is more than what you hear about. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back. You're listening to The Catherine Zock Show. I'm Catherine Zock, your social worker with a microphone. And this morning, I'm talking to Iris Smiles. Iris is an author and cartoonist. We have to talk about that. Uh, her new book is Iris Has Free Time. Uh, it's been described, if you're just joining us, as a hilarious, lyrical, and wise book about youth, its beauty, its folly, and the belief it will go on forever, even as it's slipping away. So, I mean, that really is the whole theme of the book, or I would say a major theme of the book. And uh, But, Iris, I always, like, uh, we've been getting into your story because the Iris in the book is very similar to the real-life Iris. So, we're, been, before we took the break, we were leading up to how you started writing the book. So, you stopped drinking, became more disciplined, more... I'm going to say working out, you, you know, physically we're much more uh, disciplined in, in your whole lifestyle. And, and then what? And then it's like, okay, I stopped drinking. My friends, you know, I may not have the same friends that I had before. I'm trying to become more disciplined. And now I think I have an idea for a book. Is that what happened? Um, well, I had always had different different novels that I had tried to to write, and um, actually, I was I was writing a column. Uh, I, I got once I stopped thinking, more opportunities started to present themselves um, with more work, and so I was writing a column while I was also working on this novel. Um, I'd been working on this novel for a while about young people in their twenties. 
And then as I was doing both, I realized the novel was from the perspective of a young man because I had this idea that fiction has to be very, very distant from me, you know, so the main character should be nothing like me. And as I was writing it, I realized that uh, as I was writing both of these things, these personal essays and also the novel, I realized I just wanted to participate in the action of the novel more, and there was no reason that I shouldn't um, be a part of it. So I, I kind of I fused them together. So where where'd you get that idea that you had to be about a man? Let's backtrack a little, like, and that had to, you had to be distant from the story. Because I always hear you have you should be writing about what you know, write about the stuff that you know about and who you are, and don't try to write about something that you don't like. If you're a woman trying to write about a man. Right. Well, I think that there's two conflicting things. And speaking of write, write what you know, that actually is one of the inspirations for this book. Um, I wanted to write about what I know, and I realized what I know about most is not knowing. So this book is really about not knowing. But that aside, um, I think, well, yes, they say, people say write what you know, but then there's also this idea of, like, of, you know, the, 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 the better or the, the more literary the fiction, the more remote it is. So if I could succeed at writing about a 75-year-old man living, you know, um, in uh, Ohio and farming, I don't know, do they have farms over there? I don't then, know, maybe. It then people would really take, really take my themes seriously. But as it is, I mean, since I write about, since I'm writing autobiographically and with a character who shares my name, people assume that, you know, they, the danger is it being taken very, very literally. Um, but finally, I, I find it, I, I find it more, I find it exciting to write about a fictionalized uh, version of myself anyway. What about other people in the book? Because can that be a danger? Like, because you're writing about yourself and people, when they read it, they have, oh, this is Iris, or it's very similar to Iris, but maybe some of the other characters are similar to me, like your family or your friends. Do they see themselves? And then maybe you feel like, whoa, they don't like the light you put them in or the story you told about them. Do you get, has, has that happened? Um, yes, and it's been, it's been strange how it happened because uh, there was, you know, there was there was one one person about who um, I wrote about, and I was I was very nervous about when when she read it, what she would what she would think if she would ever talk to me again. And I was vaguely preparing for the end of our friendship. She read it and she loved it. And then um, there was an ex boyfriend of mine whom I wrote about, and I was very excited for him to read the book because I thought that he would see it as this kind of celebration and this like pay into what we had in our relationship. And then I spoke to him on the phone the other day and he was um, upset. He didn't, he, he said he viewed it as a kind of a critique of his character. So it, it's, it's a strange, and the other, the odd thing I would say different than writing a memoir than a novel is that um, some of the people whom I based characters on, because they recognize some things in the book, they feel as if I've written a tell-all, and so then they feel betrayed when I depart from from who they are. Or who they think they are. Right. But meanwhile, even though, or they neglect to notice, I've fabricated many scenes that never happened, but they sort of, they feel as if they, they have happened. And, and um, 
it's strange. They, I mean, they have trouble seeing the fictional aspects of it. They see the fictional aspects of it as just a kind of... A, I, I guess the odd thing is that the people about whom I base characters on um, have have more trouble seeing the fiction of it, even though they know that more of it is fiction. It's really, as you're describing it, it's really scary then to write this. I see what you mean. Like if you wrote about it, the old guy who's 75 in Ohio who was farming, if there is farming there, that that so far removed that no one's going to come after you for writing that book. But this, like, as you're saying, it would be it would be kind of frightening because you don't know what the repercussions are going to be because people see that all kinds, you know, they see it through their own filter, obviously. Um, that would be scary. I mean, as you said, like your boyfriend, well, he never talks to you, your ex, well, he's an ex-boyfriend, but are you, he would never speak to you again or? Well, he wasn't, he wasn't that angry as, um, you know, and so we're still, we're still talking, but he was, he was, he was a little bit, he was upset and, um, I think hurt by some parts, which surprised me because again, I had I had thought that I was writing about about our relationship in a very in a reverent way. So, um, but people, you know, you never know how someone's how someone's going to react. I mean, the other reason why I didn't, and this is important, it's not arbitrary that I've written about um, a, a fictional version of of myself that the character has my name and that I, you know. Finally, that I didn't write about a man from Ohio, um, because one of the themes is uh, of the book is self-deception and self-delusion, and you know I feel like um, we, we make these characters for ourselves or believe we're certain people or we tell these stories about ourselves, and and how much of that is true and how much of it is you know are we just lying to ourselves? And I think coming to grips with the truth about yourself is. Is is an important is one way of growing up, and I marvel because if that happens to you at twenty nine or thirty, I'd say that's pretty good because I think it, many people go on and on with these self deceptions or self delusions until let's say midlife crises till they're in their forties or fifties. So uh, I think it's it's pretty good that one can do that at at, at age thirty. Be able to kind of like, well, maybe just peel away at the onion, begin to. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm uh, totally honest, but I guess, it, it, I mean, I guess um, I, what I, what I, we talked about at, at 29 when I got tough with myself, one of those things was admitting that, you know, that it wasn't the world, I, I didn't get a raw deal or anything, that the reason whatever I had failed to accomplish was because I had, you know, failed to really try hard enough. Um, and I think a lot of people are to accept for their, you know, their, their failures. Um, the great thing about accepting responsibility, though, is that you then have the power to change things. If it's the world that's left you as you are, then, then you're just a victim forever. So I think that, you know, with, with honesty, you have a lot of the beginning of potentially a lot of, a lot of power. Iris, how old are you now? Oh, I'm 35. Dante was at the start of the Inferno. So <laughs> you're way ahead of the game. So you're 35. So now, besides being a well-known novelist, oh, uh, am I? <laughs> yes. 
you've been on my show, that's it. Um, so now what? I mean, and what's happening in your life personally that's, let's say, very different than, than at age 29? Um, well, unfortunately, what's hap- my personal life is a little bit behind now, <laughs> uh, my professional life. But I'm, I'm hoping now that I, I, have my, have, I kind of put everything on hold while I finish this, this, this novel, and now it's out. So I'm, I'm hoping that maybe I can have a more balanced life and perhaps meet someone and the whole, the whole thing. But I try to focus on just what I can, what I can do, and not, and and what's within my power. So what's within my power is to write more and to just be, um, be open to opportunities wherever they come, personal, whatever. So are you saying that? have more power in terms of your writing and your, you know, going on with that, but not as much? Like, are we saying find a man or a boyfriend? Yes, I'm single. I would like to find a boyfriend. I guess what I mean, since my mother's always uh, getting on my case about meeting someone, I feel like, you know, uh, with a relationship, there's two people that have to be involved there. I can't necessarily... um, predict if I'm going to meet someone, but with my writing, I guess I, I always go back to that because no matter what, I can, I'm self-sufficient on that. I can always, I can always write. So I just try and focus on what I can do and, and hope that the, you know, the world will answer me kindly and maybe I'll, I'll meet someone or there'll be some nice reception for my work. That's all. Oh. Well, I think there are some choices, though. You know, you said put your life on hold. I'm not sure that you ever put your life on hold. Your life, it keeps on going. I mean, it, you know, you That's make true. right. I mean, uh, it's, it's never on hold unless it's over. So uh, you do certain things or make certain choices, and I think you still have some choices in terms of meeting somebody as well. It's not guaranteed, but neither is someone publishing your next book. So, uh, right, and, and you can put yourself in positions to meet a man. I sound like your mother, but... Um. <laughs> I know. I'm, you know, well, that's one of my priorities now. I'm, I am, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm trying to be more, uh, to be, have a little more balance and be a little more social. So I've, I've, I go out very, you know, very much for the last few years, but now I'm reemerging. I'm emerging from my cocoon. So, um, you know, it's difficult, though, when you're older. The difference between being 29 and 35 for a woman is, is felt more than for a man. Um, many people have, you know, while I was writing my book, they, they got married and started having children. So it's, it's, a, different, it's a different world that I'm, that I'm uh, in now. But I'm, I'm, I talk. Just to say, I told my mother when she begins crying about my being unmarried, she's Greek. So for for a Greek for a Greek mother, the worst thing in the world that could ever happen is that you could have a single a single daughter, an unmarried daughter. You could your daughter could win the Nobel Prize, but if she's unmarried, it's over. <laughs> but so I, when my mother begins crying about that, I just I told her on Mother's Day. I said, you know. Um, if I, I, it was never, I'd like to get married someday, but it was never my dream to get married. It was my dream to, to write a, a novel. So I've done that. And, <laughs> and if I hadn't done that, I would always feel incomplete. So I, I feel like she was still crying. It wasn't that much comfort. <laughs> but, I 
having at least, I mean, Iris, you're in a position, This, when, if and when you do get married, it won't be, for many people, it's their second marriage. So you'll just be, you know, people don't necessarily stay married when they get married at 25 or 30 anyway. So That's what I told my mother. I said, I'm going to get, I'm going to get in on the second heat. <laughs> <laughs> or you can find a widower. I mean, there are a lot of options out there. <laughs> I know. I'm, that's why I started taking this geriatric yoga class at my gym. There's a lot of uh, hot widowers in that, in that class. <laughs> All right. So is this the topic for your next book? I mean, we, you know, the, it can be a trilogy, I guess. We can, you can go on to the second one. <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I think actually, I would like to write a little bit. The whole experience of bringing out a book has been so odd and strange. That okay, so I tell us like about to, that. I would like to write a book about that. Just uh, <laughs> peeling back uh, another layer. It's so well. The odd thing is, for example, now I'm on your radio show. Just a few months ago, I was a person, I guess to be that other people would give advice, right, rightly so. And now, um, all of a sudden, having a book out, people ask me questions, like uh, the Wall Street Journal asked me to give advice to 20-somethings. Suddenly, I'm in a position that I should know something. I don't necessarily feel like I know anything more than a few months ago. But And, and that's a very strange experience, how people see you differently. Like you said, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an author. I'm still getting used to that. I still feel like, you know, just, uh, I guess, a, a, a screw-up. But um, I guess I haven't been that for a while, so I, I need to get that out of my head. You have to grow into your own skin, kind of. Like, as you said, I mean, you had all this stuff before. I mean, in the you know, your experiences and everything that you've written about. But now it's just that other people know that because it's out there in your book. So now you become the expert on 20-somethings and 30-somethings. And... Uh, and they want your advice, which is great, but, I mean, you've put it out there. But I, I want to ask you this because you just said, like, the process of getting at what else, what, you know, in getting this book out and every, how it's transformed you or it has or it's transforming you. Um, yeah, well, I guess a lot of it is just a, a feeling of how people um, react to me. Um, and, uh, like, I guess the way that I, I see myself differently. I have a Wikipedia entry now, Catherine. Okay. I'm, I'm a 21st century American novelist. All of a sudden, <laughs> from one day to the next. I mean, you see something like that. It's, it's just, it's odd because, you know, there's how you see yourself. And then suddenly when you're reflected back with, with something else. And it, uh, I guess, I don't know. I'm interested in, in how, well, how identity is is formed, and I guess this whole process has been a little bit of a of a change of identity. I'm still figuring that out. Well, you but still that, have your mother there weeping and crying because you're not married, so she brings it, right? Yes. <laughs> she, even though you have to tell her to read Wikipedia, 21st century American novelist. That's, that's who I, I am. try and tell. Yeah, that's how I try. I send her links to comfort her. You know, um, but, and I, sh she'll probably, uh, since anybody can update Wikipedia, she shall probably enter, if she knew how, she'd add unmarried, <laughs> unmarried 21st century American author. <laughs> it is interesting, though. I mean, it's true. Here you, you are, I mean, you have the Wall Street Journal asking you to give your advice about 20-somethings. I assume you did that, or you've done it, or you're writing about it. 
Um, yes, that ran that ran in uh, in May. I mean, but speaking of speaking of my my mother, what's uh, and and this whole thing of identity, whatever it's it's odd because I guess you're different people, different versions of yourself to different people. So when I see my parents, I'm the daughter again. And then um, just last week or the week before, I had a reading in New York City at the Strand that you you mentioned you'd seen that. And um, my parents came, and it was the first time that they saw me, I guess, you know, not in the house in the role of their daughter, but in the role of this, of a writer. And I think it was strange for them. And it was strange for me, too. You know, when your relationships to other, when your roles change, so much of your of your identity, we play different roles with different people. And that's um, that's also one of the themes in the in in my book, um, you have these relationships when you're in college, but as you grow up and you change, and you're no longer sharing the same context, what does it, what happens to your friendships or your relationships? You know. Yeah, I, some I think well, the college things they either the relationship can grow and you can change with and you. Uh, depends on how you related to that person in college. If it was simply just because you were in college that you were right. friends, that tends to go away, right? But I, that whole thing about your parents, I think, is very interesting because it probably, I think, it makes parents feel kind of they don't have the same power when they see you in your environment. When you go to their house, when you go back home, that's their, you know, that's they're on home territory, and all that stuff comes back. Parent, child, you can be forty-five with three kids, and you'll still go back and be the little girl. But when they see you, you were at the Strand Bookstore at, with your colleagues, and you're the star. Kind of, perhaps they feel a little bit. Their power feels diminished. Emotional power, I'm talking about. Um, I think, yeah, I think that they were uh, surprised and and happy. Or, well, my mother actually said to me. Um, you know, because the book has gotten a little bit of good press, and she said, "I never expected that uh, that the book would do so well." And, and <laughs> my mother, said, Why? Is very, my mother is very uh, pessimistic, so she said, like before my first reading, "What if no one comes?" <laughs> Um, yeah, but she—that's just her—that's her, her, pers- her perspective. She means well. She's very supportive, and she loves me. But I think I think she was su- surprised in a certain way because she thinks of of me. She, you know, she was supportive of her daughter of trying to do something. But this is the first time that she's seen like, oh, there's there's people who are who are you know interested in what she's written besides just us. And I, <laughs> so I think she's. Yeah, I think that they're proud, but it's a new, it's a different, it's seen me in a different way, which I am really happy about because I'm a very, being a Greek daughter, I'm I'm very dutiful and I've wanted, you know, it's very important for me to make my parents, um, for me to make my parents proud. So I hope they're a little bit proud of me. I guess why I send them links to things, you know, like a cat bringing a mouse for them. What about your siblings? What's their reaction? Were they at the Were they at the the, the reading at the bookstore? Yes, um, and it's funny. My brother, my oldest brother Arthur, who has never forgiven me for being born. Um, he, we have that sibling sibling rivalry, so he's always tortured me growing up, and. Um, he has been, he's just been so, also, he's expressed, he said how proud he is of me, and uh, 
and I'm grateful for that. The odd thing is, though, I feel like he's proud now because the book is published, but I've been working on the book for five years. I could have used a little bit of that pride, you know, like three years ago when no one was paying any attention to me. <laughs> but again, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, to finally, it's a strange thing when you say to people that you're working on a novel because no one really understands, like, are you just twiddling your thumbs all day or are you actually doing something? No one really understands what you're, what you're doing and if you are doing anything. So I'm really, I'm really happy to be able to sort of say, like, look, I was doing something. I was working hard and, and that they have a chance to see what all that was about. Yeah, and that you were serious and you really did it and it paid off. Because you mentioned in the beginning of the show, in the beginning of the interview, that many people, especially in New York City, you know, will say they're in order to justify being there and going to parties and, uh, you know, having graduated from college and not having a job, will say, well, they're writing a book or they're writing a book of poetry and, you know, mm-hmm. but not really doing it or not serious about it. So, um, I guess in some way you're saying this, I, I am serious and this is the result of it. So that I'm not excusing people, but I think that's kind of can be their reaction, why they react that way. Even your brother. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I have, they have every, the difficult thing is that they had no reason to react any differently because for, for a long time I wasn't serious. I was fooling around. So how were they to know that suddenly it was, it was different? Um, you know, so I don't, I don't, I don't blame them, they, and they were very supportive, and I don't blame them for being privately skeptical, but I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm happy to, to finally have, you know, to, to have the book finished and to say like this is what all that means. You was know, there anybody was Iris who wasn't skeptical who said three years ago, five years ago, I know you can do it, and as you were trying to write this this book for five years. Um, I have every confidence that this is going to work out. Who was pushing you? Um, yes. Well, first, first to say that my my father was is and always is is confident, but um, and supportive. So he always he always said that. But I think that there was also still, even though he said that there was some little doubt. Um, and a, a friend of mine, another another writer, Frederick Tutton, who's brilliant self-portraits you should absolutely read. Um, I met him actually at City College when I was in graduate school there. That was probably the best thing of the whole experience. And he just, you know, he was one of the people, I, do, I, I dedicate the book to him. I call him my Virgil because he really uh, said, yes, keep trying. And that does a lot when, when someone just says, like, keep going. Yeah, I think sometimes you only need one person. You don't need a yeah. whole entourage of people. But, you know, as you say, because I guess, then would you say if somebody, a young writer, for instance, is, is trying to attempt to do what you do, at least make sure there's one or two people who are, help, you know, that you can, will, help, will support you in what you're doing so that you kind of, you'll keep going with the thing? Um, yeah, I mean, hopefully you're very lucky if you if you have that, but... <laughs> Um, a lot of people, a lot of people don't. That's why I think, that's why I think about, you know, I, that's why I keep rewatching the movie Rocky. I know that's silly, but you know, he gets up at 4 a.m. and he's all alone. 
The thing is, when you're trying to do someone, do something, excuse me, when you're trying to do something, nobody cares really finally whether you, whether you do it or not. You're, it's very, it's a very lonely experience, but uh, it's an adventure. I mean, you can also take, take comfort in that, that you're on this mission, you know, that's, that's how I see it. The, the last, the last four years while I've been writing this book and have been otherwise, like I said, uh, kind of socially shut down and didn't have much of a life aside from the writing. Oddly, it's been the least eventful time of my life and the most exciting because I really felt like I was on this mission of waking up every morning and getting to it and, um, and, and working and working and, and trying to figure it out. Well, you did it and mission accomplished. It's, and we have, uh, couple minutes left, so could you tell us where we can buy this book? I assume Amazon, online, bookstores everywhere? Yes, everywhere. Great. God, that's crazy. (laughs) Everywhere you can buy it. And as an e-book? Yes, it's available on on Kindle and I guess all of those various forms. Oh, and um, yeah, and I'm 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 having my first book party tonight, Catherine. Oh, you didn't oh. invite me, but anyway. <laughs> well, I'll invite. I'll invite you. I'll send you an email after this. D- at, at DKNY, Donna Karen is giving me a book party. Isn't that insane? Fantastic! That is great. I love it. Um, so the book party is tonight. DKNY. That and that is in New York City, I assume. Yes, um, and then there'll be another one in Los Angeles and in London. Great. We have to say goodbye. So Iris smiles. Writer. Um, unmarried first, <laughs> 21st century <laughs> American author. How's that? Great having you on the show this morning. Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure to talk with you. It was great. Thanks, Iris. Uh, we are going to say goodbye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. 